Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We are a movement of men pursuing faith, character, personal growth, and meaningful friendships. If you'd like to learn more about us and our mission to rebuild the American family one man at a time, please visit us at heartofaman.org. We hope you enjoy this lesson from our series called Genesis, Why Is It This Way? I have tagged tonight's text, Deep Work. How God Transforms a Man. And I can't think of a theme or really any passage out of the book of Genesis that better aligns with the mission and the purpose of Heart of a Man ministry. And so really delighted to share this text with you tonight and reflect with you on how it is that God does deep work in our lives. How it is that God transforms us from the inside out. What I want to do is not those start back in Genesis 32 and 33. I don't want to start 4,000 years ago in the ancient Mediterranean world. Rather, what I'd like to do is I'd like to start here in Indianapolis at the Jordan YMCA. Anybody go to the Jordan YMCA? All right, there we go. There we go. Just south of 86th Street on Westfield Boulevard. I was there several months ago. It was a beautiful spring morning. It was May 10th, in fact, and I was there for my Regular daily workout. It was weights day. I do cardio day, weights day, cardio day. Wait, this was weights day, and it was legs day in particular. So I was doing RDLs and some squats and some lunges. And I, at this point, was in the second set of reverse lunges with the 45-pound bar over my shoulder. I was 47 just eight months ago, acting like I was 27. And I just finished... 20 reverse leg lunges with a 40-pound bar. And I knew it was going to be hard, guys. I knew it was going to be hard. And it was hard. And when I got done, I re-racked the bar, and I had to step back, and I had to go sit down because, man, my chest was cranked up. And I could feel my heart rate. My heart was fluttering and racing inside of me, and I was not feeling great. I took about three, four, five minutes to kind of catch my breath and cool down, and I thought, this is weird. This is taking so long for me to catch my breath. Well, I had my Apple Watch on, and I took a look at it, and that's what I saw. I was a philosophy undergrad at Wheaton College. I wasn't an exercise science person, but when I looked at that on my watch, I knew something was wrong. 2.05 was what it was, but if you can see the fine print, it says a minute ago it was at 2.10. And I took a picture. Bill, in case I died, I wanted to have a record. And so I knew my workout was over for the day. I, you know, I, I took another four or five minutes, and my heart rate wouldn't come down. And so I sort of stumbled out to my car, and I thought, I'm going to drive home and take a shower, and I'll shake this off. It'll be all right. So I got out, pulled out of the YMCA onto Westfield Boulevard and started heading north to our house. It's about a mile up Westfield Boulevard. And my vision started narrowing. As I'm driving down Westfield Boulevard going about 40 miles an hour, and I quick pulled, pulled into the Walgreens, threw the car into park, started putting the seat back in my car so I could catch my breath and cool out. And then all of a sudden the thought dawned on me, if I have a cardiac event right here in the Walgreens, I'm dead. I'll be here for like three days. Someone's going to be wondering, like, what's with the guy sleeping out in his car for three days at the Walgreens? So I quick put my seat back up put the car back in gear, and there's a fire station right next to the Walgreens right on the corner of 86 and Western Boulevard. So I whip into the fire station, I put the car in park, and I get out of the car, and a fireman comes and sees me, 
And I say, hey, I think I'm having a cardiac event. And about four minutes later, I can hear the ambulance buzzing. And nine firefighters and a couple of paramedics out in front circling around me. And pretty soon they put me in the ambulance and they raced me down to the heart center. And there I am at the heart center on May 10th, a few hours later. I mean, a few minutes later. And after about four hours of listening to the EKG beeping and buzzing and the alarm going off constantly with the pads, right, like the crisis cart with the pads they put on you to cardio coverage right outside the door, a couple of hours of this going on and dozens of medical staff trying to figure out, finally, a smart Electrophysiologist, one of the people who studies the heart but studies the electricity of the heart, not the plumbing of the heart, the electricity of the heart, comes in, takes a look at my EKG and notices this little delta curve and realizes that I have this rare condition called WPW, Wolf Parkinson White. It kills 1% of the people who have it. They're at the YMCA acting like they're 27 and bang, they just fall over dead because they go into ventricular tachycardia. Well, I was in AFib for about four hours, and thankfully, the WPW syndrome didn't kick me into ventricular tachycardia. But the doctor said, listen, Wilson, you got to get this thing fixed in your heart, because it can kill you. And so five weeks later, in June, I had to go in for a cardiac ablation, which even the sound of that sounds intimidating and serious, a cardiac ablation. Well, the procedure went really, really well, praise God, but I got to tell you, that whole thing was a wild, scary, harrowing experience, as you can imagine. Only 47 years old at the time. And talking to my wife about it, I, I said to Katie, I said, I really, Katie, I said, having this whole experience and sort of confronting my own mortality, I feel like it took me to the other side of midlife. You know, if you draw the arc of your life, you sort of crest up in your 40s, and then it's all downhill from there, right? Well, this was one of those events that sort of sent me to the other side of midlife, where I knew at that moment, like, my life had changed. My perspective on life had changed. The whole experience, it taught me an important spiritual lesson. It taught me something about how God works in our lives. In particular, it taught me about how God does His deep work in our life. His deep work. Not the superficial stuff, but the substantive stuff. Not the surface work, but the soul work. Not surface deep, but soul deep. Deep work is how God deeply changes a man. How He grows a man. How He heals a man. How He transforms a man. And deep work, brothers, is what we see God doing in Genesis 32 and 33 in the life of Jacob. For years, Jacob, as you know, you've been studying Genesis, has been trying to fly straight, but Jacob, we've got to admit, is a crooked arrow. 
He has trouble flying straight. And so God's got some unfinished business with Jacob. God's got some deep work he's got to do in the life of Jacob. And this is what we see in Genesis 32 and 33, how he transforms this crooked arrow so that he can fly straight. And what I'd like to do in the few minutes that we have, brothers, is I want to focus our attention on just one section of this passage of Scripture, these two chapters of Scripture. I want to focus our attention, if you have your Bible and kind of open it up to Genesis chapter 32, I'd like to focus our attention on verses 22 through 32 where we see Jacob famously wrestle with God and God wrestle with Jacob. And I want to focus on this portion of Scripture because it is, I want to suggest to you, the climax of these two chapters. Really, it's the climax of Jacob's whole story. It's not the conflict. That started back in chapter 27 and then reemerges here in chapter 32. It's not the crisis. That's earlier in chapter 32. You know, when Jacob catches wind that Esau is coming with 400 men, not in khakis and blazers, by the way, but like brave heart. These are dudes that are coming, right? And so that's the crisis that Jacob is responding to and reeling from and anxious about and worried about. And, and, and then you got the conclusion that's in chapter 33 which is a remarkable conclusion. It's a surprising conclusion. It's a beautiful conclusion to the story. This tearful reconciliation and reunion and restoration of these two estranged brothers, a beautiful, beautiful picture there in chapter 33, the conclusion. But chapter 32, verses 22 and 32, that's the climax of these two chapters. And it's the climax because it's where Jacob meets not his brother, but his maker. It's where Jacob meets not Esau, but God in the mysterious person of that pre-incarnate mysterious man. And there, as Jacob encounters God, as Jacob meets God, as God confronts Jacob in the person of that mysterious pre-incarnate man, God does his deep work in Jacob's life. But how does he do it? What happens in this text? How does God do his deep work to transform a man? How does God do his deep work to transform you? to transform me. Well, when God does a deep work in your life, this is how He does it. He does it, first of all, He does it in the dark. He does it in the dark. Verse 22, we read, The same night Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok River. It's night. When he confronts God, when God confronts him, it's dark. It's real dark. It's not suburbs dark, by the way, guys, right? It's like Montana wilderness dark. It's like pitch black so that you cannot see. You can only, check this out, you can only sense. You can't see in the dark. God's at work in your life. You might not, you probably won't be able to see it. It's in the dark if he's doing the deep work, but you can sense it. What do you sense? You sense presence. 
You sense God's personal presence taking hold of you, wrestling with you. It's one of God's deep work strategies to do His deep work, men, in our lives in the dark. Some of you know that the saints of old like to talk about this. So you know how they talked about it. They talk about it as the dark night of the soul. But why? Why is it that God chooses to do His deep work in our lives in the dark? Is it because He wants to be sneaky? He's ashamed? He's embarrassed? He's Voldemort? Like, what's with what was God working in the dark? Well, the reason He works in the dark is because if He left the lights on so that you and I could see what He was doing inside of us at a deep level, we would never let Him do it. I got to tell you, when they laid me on that table and we're going to started wiring wires up my groin into my heart and zapping and cardio converting me on the table, if I would have been awake and watched and seen that whole thing going down, that never would have happened. Never would have happened. And so God does deep work in our lives in the dark. But the problem with God doing deep work in our lives in the dark is it can leave you and me confused about what in the world is going on. Because we can't see what's going on. And we can't see what God is up to. And it can create confusion. And so, man, I wonder if some of you came in tonight into this room and you're in your life right now feeling confused. There's something going on in your life and you're not sure what, but it feels like you're wrestling. It feels like you're struggling with something or perhaps someone. You can't seem to make sense of it. You can't get your bearings on it. Could it be that God is doing a deep work in your life? Could it be that God has got a hold of you? That the confusion you're experiencing is God wrestling with you and you wrestling with God? And could it be that God wants you to sit still and to let God do His thing? To stop fighting, to stop resisting, to stop pushing back, to open your heart, to let God have His way in your, in your soul. You see, man, when God does a deep work in our lives, He likes to do it in the dark. But secondly, when God does a deep work in our lives, you know how else He likes to do it? He likes to do it when we are all alone. You see that in the text, verses 23 and 24, we read there, he took them, Jacob took them, and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, verse 24, and Jacob was left alone. He was left alone. I can tell you it is, and, and those of you who've had serious medical procedures will know this, it's an unnerving experience when you have to sign the papers, and you don't read the fine print when you're signing those papers in the hospital. It says something like, if you die, you're not going to sue anybody. It's those papers. But it's an unnerving feeling when you sign those papers and you kiss your wife goodbye and say, you know, say goodbye, and then they roll you all by yourself on that 
cart down the lonely hallway into the lonely surgical room. That's a lonely feeling. You are all alone. Katie's not with me. My kids aren't with me. My parents aren't with me. My friends aren't with me. I'm there all alone. And so too with Jacob. When he met with God, when God confronted him, when God dealt with him and did his deep work, he was all alone. Rachel wasn't there. Leah wasn't there. The kids weren't there. He couldn't phone a friend. He couldn't call for mom. He was all alone. It was Jacob and God, man to man, so to speak. This is what God does when He does the deep work in our lives, brothers. He gives us that feeling of like stripping away everything else and everyone else that we might rely on so that we cannot hide, we cannot evade God's gaze. And we have to look God straight in the eye. We can't take cover behind anyone else. And so tonight, I want to say to you, if you're holding on to a deep pain, if you're struggling with something that only you know about and, and that you feel like no one else is going to understand, maybe that's God stripping things away in your life. Maybe that's God moving in to do a deep work in your heart and in your soul. And maybe if you feel all alone tonight, even though you're in a room full of other brothers, reminds you that it doesn't mean you are alone. It may mean that God is doing and beginning to do, wanting to do a deep, deep work in your life. Thirdly, when God does a deep work in your life, brothers, He does it through intense struggle. Intense struggle. Of course, this is the theme of this great passage of Scripture, verse 24. We read that a man wrestled with him, Jacob, until the breaking of the day. Jacob wrestled with God. This is the way God brings about deep work in our lives through deep struggle, through deep wrestling, not through sitting in the lazy boy or dipping in the pool or tucked in bed. Those are all great. I like all of those things, but that's just not how God gets the deep work done in our lives. Deep work comes as we struggle with God. God gets our attention through the struggle. God moves in closer through the struggles in our lives. Often, if, if you're anything like me, when you find yourself struggling, you, you look to the something or the someone you're struggling with. Tend to focus all on that. Struggling with work, struggling with your career, struggling with a child, struggling with your spouse. Struggling with your finances, struggling with a death in your life, struggling with a disappointment, with a mental health issue, with a mistake from the past that is haunting you. It's very tempting, isn't it, guys, to think that these struggles in our lives, that these are sort of what it's really all about and our attention goes there, that we're wrestling with flesh and blood with these earthly things. What I think we learned from this passage is that God uses those things to draw our attention to Him. God is wrestling with us in and through these challenging circumstances in our lives, the people in our lives, the events in our lives. 
course, we're all hardwired, aren't we, to want to run away, to move away from the struggles, from the challenges. But the struggles aren't necessarily a bad thing. They may, in fact, be the very thing God is using to get our attention, the very thing God is using to grab a hold of us, to, to begin the deep work in us. So, brothers, let me say, don't begrudge the struggles in your life. They may be friends for you and to you in your life to get your attention. God's way of laying hold of you, not to harm you, but to help you, to care for you, to grow you, to deepen you. There's a fourth thing I want to bring out from this text, and it's this. When God does a deep work in your life, He does it with His blessing ready to give. In dark, all alone, with intense struggle, but with a blessing, brothers, with a blessing ready to give. Verse 29, and there He blessed Jacob, we read in the text. So important to remember. Because when the darkness sets in, when we feel all alone, when there's intense struggle and wrestling in our lives, the world around us feels like it's all coming apart and coming apart at the seams. It feels like we are being forgotten by God, toyed with often by God. It's the way it can feel. Tortured even is sometimes how it can feel. And the temptation, we see this in the book of Job, is to curse God. This is why we've got to understand how God does His deep work. Not through sunshine, not through roses, but through hardship and heartache, through struggle. Through struggle. But in that, God is getting ready to bless us in the midst of the heartache and the hardship and the challenge. And so, brothers, don't fear God's deep work in your life. Don't run from God's deep work in your life. Don't avoid God's deep work in your life because there you will find a blessing. In fact, if anything, we learn from the example of Jacob, it's to wrestle with God, in fact, to grab hold of God and not let Him go until He gives you His blessing. And don't be shy about asking for it. I love this verse 26, I will not let you go unless you bless me, Jacob says. And so grab hold of God as you sense God is wrestling with you. Lay hold of God. I don't recommend putting God in a headlock, but grab hold of him and beg and plead for his blessing, for his deep work to be done in your life. And what is that blessing? What is the blessing that God gives when He's doing deep work in our lives? One word. Identity. Identity. God blesses you by reaffirming your true identity, your true name. What is your name? The man asked Jacob. My name is Jacob. Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. 
You see, when God does his deep work in our souls, he speaks to us a very simple and transformative word. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. That's the blessing. The blessing that comes from God's deep work. The blessing of reaffirming your identity and reaffirming your name. Fifthly and finally, man, when God does his deep work in your life, he leaves you with a limp. <laughs> he leaves you with a limp. You see it there in verse 25, and it touches the, Jacob's hip and the, comes out of the socket. Verse 31, we read, The sun rose up upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. When God does a deep work in a man's life, you're changed, you're transformed. And the evidence of that transformation is that you no longer strut through life. You limp. You limp. God, you see, left, let, left Jacob with a gift. He left Jacob with a gracious reminder that he had met with God and God had done a deep work and when God performs a deep work in a man's life, he can never go back. He's fundamentally changed. He now lives and works and leads and loves with a limp. Some of us in this room, myself included, we sometimes get carried away with always wanting our life to move up and to the right. From strength to strength, without any limp. But brothers, that's not how God grows a man. That may be how God grows your business, but it's not how God grows your character. When he's done a deep work, you move through the world differently, less arrogant, more patient, less cocky and self-assured more humble, God-dependent, God leaving you with a limp. And so you see from this great passage of Scripture, this famous passage of Scripture of Jacob wrestling with God, we see how God does a deep work in Jacob's life, how he grows a man, how he transforms him. And it's how he does it in your life and mine. In the dark, when we're all alone through intense struggle with his blessing ready to give, and he leaves us with a limp as a gracious reminder of the deep work He's done in our lives. But if it's true, how do you and I, how do we lean into God's deep work if we sense God doing it in our lives? Three actionable insights I want to leave with you, brothers, briefly and quickly. How am I doing on time? Briefly and quickly. First, number one, actionable insight from this text. Number one, let God's deep work in your life be the deep desire of your heart. Pray this way. Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my heart and my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way, grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Pray this way. Let the deep work of God be the deep desire of your heart. Or pray this way with the Apostle Paul, Philippians 3.10. 
that I may know Christ and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Or pray this way, the way the Lord Jesus Himself prayed, Father, not my will, but Your will be done. Let God's deep work be the deep desire of your heart. Let it define and shape your prayer life. In fact, let it be at the top of your prayer list that you pray each and every day, God, do your deep work in my life. Second actionable insight I want to leave with you, brothers, is this. Look to your deep fear as the place where God wants to do His deep work. Look to your deep fear as the place where God wants to do his deep work. You ever wonder what God is up to in your life? You ever wonder how God is at work behind the scenes in the soul of your life? If you find your deep fear, you will find God's deep work. And so ask yourself, what is your deep fear? Is it a fear of loneliness? of abandonment, of vulnerability, of insignificance, of purposelessness, of being unloved, of being unknown, a fear of failure, a fear of loss. What is it that wakes you up at 2.30 in the morning? Anybody wake up at 2.30 in the morning? What wakes you up at 2.30 in the morning and gets your mind going? What are those anxieties and those worries? And trace those anxieties and those worries to the deep fear. And there in that deep, scary, dark place, you will find God. That's where God does His deep work. In our deep fear. Not because He dislikes you, but because He loves you and He wants to free you and liberate you from all the fears that bind you. And so find the deep fear in your life. And there you will find the place where God wants to do His deep, deep work. Thirdly and finally, brothers, learn from those who live with a limp. They're men marked by God. Too often I fear in our muscular American Christianity, we look to spiritual jocks and spiritual superheroes and Christian Captain Americas as our examples. Brothers, I commend to you to find the men who live with a limp. Men who are marked by the deep work of God in their life. Men who have suffered and who know what, how God was at work in their hardship and their heartache. Do you, do you have men like that in your life? I suspect there are some in this room that are models for you. Do you know their names? For me, it's Tom and Scott and John and Jack. These are men who live with a limp and are marked by God and, and who I draw alongside to learn from and to grow from. I encourage you to find those men in your life and, and look to them. Get to know them. Get coffee with them. Get lunch with them. Do life with them. Ask them to tell you their story and, and look for the deep work of God in their life and learn from the deep work of God in their life. And so those three final applications to you, brothers, 
Let God's deep work in your life be the deep desire of your heart. Look to the deep fear in your life as a place where God wants to do His deep work and learn from those who live with a limp. They are men marked by God. And so as I said at the outset, this is a passage that I think so nicely aligns with the purposes of heart of a man. And I can't think of a passage of Scripture that is more needed in our day and age of quick fixes and easy solutions to the spiritual life and to the Christian life where it's a passage that lays out how it is that God goes about really changing and transforming our lives, how He does His deep work. Perhaps worth pointing out as we close just one other thing that God's deep work in our life is not, I suspect you already know this, is not a one-time thing. It's a process. And it's a process that lasts our whole life. But some of you may be wondering, does it end? When does it end? You might be in the middle of wrestling with God and you're wondering to yourself, does it ever end? Do I ever get out of the wrestling? When will it stop? When did it stop for Jacob? Verse 24, we read this. And a man wrestled with Jacob, and here's the phrase, until the breaking of the day. Until the breaking of the day. Our wrestling with God in this life, it continues until the morning comes. It continues until the rising of the dawn. It continues until the sun rises with healing in his wings, when the night is over and the morning is fully come, that, brothers, is when our wrestling will be over. When did the wrestling end for Jesus? It was dark and he was all alone in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was dark and he was all alone hanging on the cross at Golgotha. It was dark and he was all alone in that death-filled tomb. When did it end for Jesus? It ended for Jesus as it ended for Jacob at the breaking of the day. On that first Easter morn, when those first rays of light crested over the dark, sin-drenched horizon, shattering the gloom of night and bringing the joy of Easter morning. It ended when God raised Jesus from the darkness of death to the glorious light of eternity. It ended when God declared Jesus to be Son of God with power through the resurrection of the dead. And so too, men, it's going to end in the same way for you and me, when the sunshine of the resurrection dawns in our lives. Then our wrestling would be over. Then all is going to be joy and light and peace. This is the pattern of the gospel, death in this life and resurrection. But until that day, men, we go on living for God and wrestling with God. We go on loving God, serving God. And God goes on loving us because of Christ and transforming us into His image, doing His deep work in our hearts and in our lives. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we have to, I feel like I have to say there's a, a profound mystery in the way that you work in this world. 
So much is so clear and so straightforward, and other things are mysterious and baffling and cause us to fall down on our faces in wonder and adoration. This beautiful picture of you wrestling with Jacob, Jacob wrestling with you, and begging you for a blessing, it sets before us a beautiful pattern, picture, that, Father, I pray that I would continue to emulate, and I pray that all these brothers would continue to emulate, that we would be men who wrestle with you, begging you, asking you, looking to you to do your deep, deep work in our hearts and our lives. And may we do so hanging on to the promise of eternal life in Jesus and the power of the Spirit animating and sustaining us in all that we do. And may we, as we wrestle with you, may we not fail to serve and love those around us with the grace that you supply us with for your glory, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, 